Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to top athletes, coaches, influencers, and minds from around the world of strength sports. Presented by BarBend.com. Today, I'm talking to Tony Gentlecore. Tony is a trainer and author who is actually one of the very first fitness writers I ever came across online. Back around 2010, there weren't a ton of places to turn to when it came to learning about the ins and outs of strength training online. But Tony's name was one that popped up everywhere, a testament to his ability to take real-world experience and translate that into the written word. Tony's probably best known for co-founding Cressy Sports Performance in 2007, and he's trained countless elite athletes in pro sports. He remains one of the most prolific writers in the entire world of strength training. In the days before Instagram, Tony helped mold the blueprint of the trainer slash author, paving the way for some of today's biggest online fitness influencers. He's someone who excels at combining his real world coaching experience with the latest evidence and research. Today, Tony still dedicates a huge chunk of his time to training clients in person at his Massachusetts studio. He's still a prolific writer with an active web presence at TonyGentleCore.com, and he's also an in-demand speaker for fitness events around the globe. I'm excited to chat with Tony about what's changed as strength training becomes increasingly mainstream, along with what too many athletes and coaches are still getting wrong when it comes to getting stronger. Here's a hint we're probably overcomplicating things. And just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying the Bar Bend podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. This helps us stay on track in bringing you the best content possible week after week. And if there's someone you'd absolutely love to hear on a future Bar Bend podcast episode, let us know in your podcast review. Today on the Barben Podcast, I'm talking to an old friend of mine, someone I've respected in the world of strength training and strength and conditioning since I became interested in the space initially, and that is Tony Gentlecore. Tony, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining today. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a lovely Friday afternoon, so uh, um, Fridays are my, my podcast days, so I'm, I'm ready and rejuvenated and ready to talk some shots, so... Uh, thank you for inviting me on. And Tony, since we first met years and years ago, um, you know, podcasting has kind of become a thing. I know you're traveling for uh, a lot of events and speaking engagements these days. What is kind of the split of your time before we go into your background between, you know, actual in-person coaching, which is, I know, something that is your bread and butter and something you truly value, but also being in demand to be a speaker, a guest at events? Well, it's still, it's still pretty surreal on my end. I always joke, I'm, I, I grew up in a very, 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 very small town in, in upstate New York. Uh, my hometown does not have a traffic light. It is so tiny. Uh, and if, if, if 42-year-old me ever spoke to 16-year-old me and said, yeah, you're going to be traveling the world and doing all these speaking engagements. Like I remember a point in my life, and I think a lot of people can commiserate, where public speaking was a very, very daunting thing. <laughs> and like, you know, and then now that I get invited on a bunch of podcasts and around the world to present, it's quite, it's quite surreal. And, and now it, I, I wouldn't say it takes up 50% of my time, but I would say this point, this point of the year, um, I'm usually traveling one weekend a month where, um, like I was just in Chicago last weekend. So I did, I did a few speaking engagements there. Um, I, I head out to Europe in a, in a couple weeks, 
Um, although that's going to be an extended thing where I'm, I'm out for two weeks there, but it's about, you know, one weekend a month. Um, you know, usually in the winters that kind of dies down obviously because I don't want to travel to Michigan in February. (laughs) So, uh, uh, but yeah, the bulk of my time is still in-person coaching. Uh, and then the rest of it is when I can is one weekend a month, I'm traveling and doing speaking engagements and, you know, in, in, and doing podcasts is kind of a weekly thing, honestly, like Thursdays and Fridays are my non coaching days. So those are days where I can catch up on life and catch up on other projects that I'm very good at procrastinating on and, um, and doing podcasts and catching up on programming and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the lowdown that now that time that you, you do have your, your in-person training and coaching days where you're, you're working with clients and, and you're, you know, building your business in that respect. Is that something you have to kind of fight to keep? Because I know I've talked to a lot of folks who, um, you know, are have big followings online and in their careers and in many ways mirror yours. And some of them just don't train clients in person anymore. It's all either online or speaking engagements or writing. I mean, have you had to be, have you had to have a lot of have to have intent on like keeping those in-person coaching interactions? Well, I, I, you know, when I left Crusty sports performance, I left there in 2015 to pursue other opportunities that were, that were in Boston and closer to my apartment. So I could take out, a 45 minute commute to and from the facility. And, you know, when I, when I opened up my small studio, uh, I did draw the line in the sand as far as like how many, how many hours per week that I want to coach in person, you know, as far as like, okay, here's how much, mo- here's how much money I want to make doing it. These are how many clients I think I need to do it to make it happen. Here's my line. Cause I had to take in consideration other responsibilities. So my writing responsibilities, travel, um, you know, not to mention having a wife and kid wanting, wanting to spend time with them. So, uh, and, and, and I came to the, to the figure of 20 hours per week is what I want to do in terms of my, my in-person coaching. And, um, you know, that stayed pretty consistent for the past few years, past three, four years. And, you know, certainly a part of me feels somewhat guilty when I travel. Like I was in Australia earlier this year for two weeks. I'm going to be going to Europe for two weeks. So part of me feels very, um, uh, um, what's where I'm looking for? Like my, I don't want my clients to get too mad at me because I'm traveling so much. Um, but they, but they know it's kind of the the part of the deal uh, when they work with me. And, and you know, uh, they understand. And I usually try to make sure all their programs are up to, up to date when I leave. And, um, if they have any questions before I leave, they'll certainly ask it. And they, and they of course have access to me when, when I'm traveling as far as emails, but, um, but all in all, it, it is part of my identity for lack of a better, for a better word or better term, actually. Uh, I, I've always felt that being integrity is very important to me. So if I'm, if I'm out there writing about how to coach people and how to write programs and how to assess shoulder function uh, and all that stuff, I, I, I think it's important to still actually be coaching people. And this isn't, this isn't a, an attack on those who do online only, uh, but you know, from my, my personal preference and my personal stance, I, I just feel um, staying, staying fresh uh, with my in-person coaching and, and staying sharp uh, is an important part of being a coach. So, um, but yeah, 20 hours a week, certainly, um, it's, it's a nice, I found it, it's it's been a nice, healthy, 
um, medium work work to life balance uh, has worked very well. And I assume most of those clients you have, you know, twenty hours a week, those fill up pretty quickly. If you you know have clients who are training a few yeah. times a week, but I do semi private as well. Okay. So it's not like I, I I do I don't do any one on one. It's very rare that I do one on one training. So my my studio is is entirely semi-private. So I'll be working with anywhere from two to four, sometimes five people at a time, all working off their own programs. And, and the space that I work out of is small enough where my eyes can be on everyone at the same time. I mean, my, my head's a little bit on, on a swivel. I feel like I'm, I'm constantly I'm like a shark in motion when I'm, when I'm coaching, but, uh, but yeah, my, my space isn't huge by any stretch and, and I can certainly keep my eyes on everyone. So um, even though it is 20 hours a week, uh, I have, I think, currently 25, 30 clients that are pretty consistent um, as far as in-person clients. So most of them are one day a week, but I have several who are twice a week, if not three times a week. Um, so I, I'm usually seeing everyone at least once a week in those 20 hours. Gotcha. And I assume most of those clients, I mean, a lot of them you've had for a while. I know you're a big proponent right. of not necessarily um, spending all your time actively marketing your services, but keeping yes. the clients you have. Yes, I think that is, uh, I know later it's like, you, you're, you know, we, we talk about pet peeves, but uh, that, not that that's one of them, but I, I do think a, a, a common thread in the fitness industry, especially with upcoming trainers and coaches, is they're always worrying about getting those leads and getting people in the door and marketing. And that is important. Believe me, I'm not, I'm not bemoaning that or downplaying that by any stretch, but I do think... Um, if you focus more on keeping your current clients happy uh, and having a good product to give what your assessment process, how you write your programs and even the soft skills of coaching. Uh, I think that often, I think it was what separates a good trainer from a great trainer or one who's kind of struggling to get people in the door. And those who have a consistent revenue stream with their coaching is just focusing on maintaining their current clients. And honestly, from a, from a, um, uh, from a revenue standpoint, from a cost standpoint, it's cheaper, you know, to, to focus on keeping your current clients happy and having them refer clients rather than paying for all these marketing gurus and uh, master classes and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, just something to chew on for, for some fitness professionals. I just think keep your current clients happy and you're good to go. So you you opened your own space in in 2015. Before that, and and where um, a space where you were at for a while and became you know very widely known in in the greater strength and conditioning community was Cressy Sports Performance. Um, you know where were you before that? And, and give us kind of the the elevator pitch of oh, your boy. career across uh, the the health and fitness industry. So before Cressy Sports Performance, I was a corporate fitness trainer and a personal trainer. So corporate fitness meaning my first job out of college. I worked for a company who would be hired by other companies to run their gyms uh, for their employees. So, you know, employees would come in before, before work, during lunch break, after work, uh, and, and they saw it as a way of, of decreasing their healthcare costs, which is a home run, you know, to, to provide a gym for their employees to work out at, and boom, there you go. So my job was to uh, work at those facilities and, and um, basically train their employees uh, who were interested in doing some, some personal training. I did that in conjunction with being your run of the mill commercial gym trainer for three, four or five years uh, before I met Eric. Eric and I met online uh, when 
it was still kind of weird to meet people online. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we moved, we moved to Connecticut, worked out, worked together there. And then we moved to Boston. So I spent the first five years of my career working as a quote unquote commercial gym trainer. Uh, then we opened up Cressy Sports Performance. I was there for eight years. And now I do my own, I guess, hodgepodge of uh, in-person coaching, online coaching, and being a pseudo, you know, B-list fitness celebrity. Uh, you know, so uh, that, that that I know it's longer than 10 seconds, but that's about as quick as I can make it. <laughs> no, I, I love it. And, and it's interesting because when I first met you and a lot of the content that I originally you know, read from you, and this is back in like, I want to say like 2010, 2011, when I was sure. kind of getting familiar with, with your work and um, with actually a lot of the coaches, it seemed like there was this wave of kind of influential coaches that came out of the Boston area at the time. Um, a lot of what you were writing on was relevant to and borrowing from your experience with team athletes. So you know, baseball yeah. players, football players, team sports. And I actually didn't realize that you had that background, um, you know, on the individual kind of corporate side. I, for some reason, you know, just assumed you always kind of started with team athletics. Um, mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about some of the, over the course of your career, some of the differences you've learned in approaching, or maybe just general lessons you've learned um, approaching maybe in the coaching mindset between team athletics and, yeah. and the general population. And, you know, is yeah. there a surprising amount of carryover or not? I, I think that, yes, there, there is a, a surprising amount of carryover. Uh, I think and when I was at Crisis Sports Performance, yes, we trained a lot of baseball players, a lot of athletes, but we trained a fair amount of John Pop clients too. And I, I, always, I often say, I mean, now 95% of my clients are Gen Pop. Whereas at Cresty Sports Performance, ninety-five percent of my athlete or clients were athletes. So I, I did do a little flip-flop. But I've honestly, throughout my career, I've always preferred working with Gen Pop clients. And I remember, was, I think it was two years ago, I was speaking at a NSCA event, and I, I made that comment offhandedly while while I was presenting. Uh, and then afterwards, I'm, I'm sitting in an area with Greg Knuckles, uh, where it was like a Q and a sec uh, segment of the a portion of the day. And I had maybe three people who were at my presentation the, the number one question I got was like, wow, like you, you really prefer training gen pop. Like it was some sort of like, uh, like demerit point. Like, like, <laughs> for, ooh, ooh, like, regular well, people. Like, I feel like, you know, like you train professional athletes. Isn't that like the Holy grail? Um, yes, that's cool. But, um, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed working with Dale from accounting. I, I, I feel like I get more variety when I work with the gen pop population. Uh, I really get a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment when I can take somebody who is very deconditioned or in pain, uh, and can't do a certain exercises on day one. And then two months later, they're, they're crushing it. I get a lot of fulfillment from doing that. Um, and honestly, like number one would be like from a business standpoint, there are way more gen pop clients than professional athletes. So if I want to pay the bills, like gen pop makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and, uh, but to answer your question, I, 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 there is a surprising amount of carryover. I, I've done several podcasts, one most recently with Mike Robinson, where we, we kind of talked about this. And, you know, if you look at a program that are right for a professional athlete or, or even a collegiate athlete or high school athlete, and what, how I write a program or what a program looks like for a gen pop client, there's going to be a lot of similarities. Like the human body is the human body. I mean, I, I'm, I, and I'm a big fan of training movement patterns. So squat pattern, hinge pattern, push, pull, et cetera. 
Um, that really doesn't change. However, the obvious difference is if I'm working with uh, a high-level athlete, the load is going to be quite different uh, and the speed is going to be quite different. So, um, you know, there aren't many... There aren't many gen pop clients coming in who I'm worried about working on their 40 time or their, their, their acceleration uh, and, and, and doing stuff very quickly. Uh, unless, I mean, maybe if they're Terry Tate or something, office linebacker, maybe that would be a, a scenario where that would happen. But, um, but I do have pretty much all of my gen pop clients deadlifting to some capacity, most of which are trap bar as opposed to doing a straight bar. Uh, most of them are squatting. It just, it doesn't necessarily have to be with a straight bar. There are many iterations of a squat that they're doing. And then, yeah, I mean, I get them throwing stuff too. Like I can have them throw a med ball. Uh, that, that's a very user-friendly uh, way of, of training power and explosiveness and getting metabolic rate up and pushing prowlers and doing pharma carries. And they love it. Like I think uh, if I can make them feel a little bit more athletic, it might not be athletic, but if I can make them feel a little bit more athletic, I, I do find it, there's a little bit more buy-in to the program uh, where it's just not like this vanilla approach like, Oh, hey, we're going to do some push-ups, We're going to do this, which is all fine and dandy. Um, but uh, there's way more cross or way more similarities and differences to be honest. Well, we have fantasy football season coming up and I've heard one of the fastest growing fantasy football punishments. If you finish last in the league is that you have to go through a simulated NFL foot, uh, football combine. So maybe oh, you'll have Dale from accounting and some of these gen pop folks <laughs> yeah. coming to you to train for that. Oh man. Jeez. Like I, I don't even know what the football combine entails now. I'm still out of loop with sports that, um, you know, when you have a, when you have a kid, you kind of have to, you, you, you lose the grasp of a little bit of pop culture. Um, <laughs> So, uh, I, yeah, I'm assuming the bench press is still involved there, but, uh, it's a, it's um, a bench press. It's, it's the vertical, the, the 40, obviously 40. I think there's a cone drill, a cone drill yeah. broad jump, that okay, sort of thing. So it's the same. It's the same. All right. That, that's doable. So, so <laughs> if you're listening now and you're, and you, your fantasy football draft went poorly and you need to start training for that inevitable, uh, the inevitable punishment, Tony Gentlecore, yeah, he's your, we'll he's get, your we'll guy. Get you to, we'll get you to, to skip well first. That's often my litmus test is like when, even when I work with younger athletes and especially gen pop is just watching them skip like that, that can give you a lot of information as far as like their, how long it's been since they've done anything athletic. Cause I mean, it's also a nice way to me to kind of pump the brakes. Whereas like, cause I do get some, some, you know, men and women come in and they just want to get after it right away, but they haven't really done anything remotely athletic for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, and I'll say, yeah, just, just show me, show me your skip. We're going to do some skip marches or, and you know, you know, I, I keep a straight face. Like I'm, 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 it's like an Academy award level of, of, of straight faceness. Um, but I was just like, yeah, we have a little work to do. Let's, let's work on that first before we worry about <laughs> the, the more advanced stuff. Um, but yeah, we, I can make it happen. So Dale, if you're listening, let's go. And, and folks, <laughs> I know from personal experience, when Tony Gentlecore sees something that he maybe doesn't like, or he wants to have a neutral face, I mean, he'll, he'll just have like, there's just no expression. It's just a yeah, blank slate, yeah, thousand yard yeah. stare. Yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, that, that could be good or bad, I suppose. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. I, I, I just don't think it's a good, uh, it's a good way to set a precedent when you're laughing at your client on day one. So, um, uh, yeah, straight face is probably always the better way to go. 
What are some other general tests that, I mean, they, they don't necessarily need to be ones that you institute all the time, but you mentioned skipping as a general like assessment sure. of a baseline coordination, athleticism. Uh, what are some other good ones you've seen coaches use or used yourself? Um, I, you know, one that I picked up from Dan John that I, that I like a lot is, uh, and one easy way to, to kind of gauge progress as you go, is just having them do a, a pharmacary for, for, for distance. So we'll, we'll pick, um, a certain load for, for the carry. And I don't have a set parameter here. I just kind of like, guess we'll, we'll, we'll use the 20 pound dumbbells or 40 pound, something that's challenging. And I say, carry that for as long as you can before you have to put them down. Uh, and t- so that, that sets a standard on, on day one, week one, whatever you want to call it. And then, you know, ev- inevitably they're going to ask, well, do we ever reassess anything or, and which I'm not a fan of, like, I'm not a fan of doing a reassessment every month or two months or four months or six months. Cause I think any good coach is that it, that is coaching. <laughs> you're, you're, you're constantly like tweaking the program and maybe, maybe changing this exercise or that exercise. But with the farmer carry, I, I, I find it's a nice way to say, okay, when we, the, the first day we did this, you did it for 75 yards before you had to put the dumbbells down. Now, now you did it for 200. So is that not progress? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. So it, it is a nice way. And to me, like that isn't anything that requires a, a significant amount of skill to perform. You know, it's just like, holding something heavy in your hand and, and you carry like, I, I don't think anyone's going to hurt themselves doing that. Uh, and it, and it's certainly, um, it, it's, it's pretty intuitive. Yeah. So, I mean, people carry groceries all the time, right? They sure. understand, they understand like this is, this is something with carryover. This is like an assessment that makes sense. Not everyone has, you know, um, will understand like the use of a goblet squat at first or yeah. like a hang power clean, but carrying some weight in your hands. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So to me, with, with especially with Gen Pop, that 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 is a, a nice easy way of assessing. Another one that I've used in the past, I wouldn't say I use it all the time, um, and it might have even been like another Dan John, um, um, where I stole it from him. Uh, he wrote about a thing where he just asked somebody to sit on the ground, or maybe standing up. I, I think he starts with them sitting on the ground, and he just asks them to stand up, and he tries to see like how many steps does it take for that individual to stand up from a, from a, from a seated position? Like, does it take, is it like this, you know, they just cross their legs and stand up, which is kind of like the gold standard, or is it one of those things where there's a bunch of grunts and groans and they have to roll over to the elbow and like, Oh, and get up that way. And it takes, it's like, it's like this like five point thing that to, to get up to a standing position and down. Um, and I forgot who he referenced, um, but there was a, a, another coach who said, like, if we look at longevity and just overall health, joint health, and just, um, um, uh, you know, having a, a, a life that's, that's, that's a lot of vitality in it, it's just like the ability to stand up um, from a sitting position, just crossing your legs and just standing up uh, is a nice way of, of gauging that, um, which I found is, again, a very easy way to um, – interpret to the client and say, we're just going to see how you stand up and how you get down. And just, we're going to try to improve that. Hopefully as, as we progress, we get you a little bit stronger. We improve mobility in certain areas. We improve stability in certain areas, get you to appreciate what it means to be like in a better position, uh, get you in better alignment. And hopefully that will improve as well. Um, so yeah, then another simple and effective way of gauging to assess somebody, but also gauge it moving forward. 
you, you talk about that test for longevity. And the thing that pops to mind is that I can think of a lot of strength athletes and I can think of points during my own, um, you know, strength training life cycle, where if you ask me to get up off the ground or if you ask them to get up off the ground, there are going to be some more grunts and groans yeah. and more, it's going to look more like a 16 point turn as opposed to like a smooth parallel park. Yeah. And yeah. you know, specialization, um, in strength athletics often breeds, uh, it can breed tightness. It can, it can breed sure. difficulty in some of those just like general moving about life avenues. Is that something that, you know, if you see, if you're working with like a strength athlete or if you're watching them train or, or compete or just live their lives, is that something that you're seeing crop up and how, uh, are you as a trainer when working with people or advising people or speaking, how are you fighting some of the negative repercussions of specialization? So, um, I think if I'm working with a strength athlete or an athlete in general, I, I have to recognize that there's going to be some pattern overload. There, there, there's a certain pattern that they have to perform a lot to be successful in their event or sport. Uh, and you know, and my job isn't necessarily to, to fix that. Uh, you know, cause again, if, if I, if I were to look at a, uh, a pitcher, for example, a baseball pitcher, uh, you know, they, they, they have a bony adaptation in their throwing shoulder that warrants they'll have a lot of external rotation and they'll have limited internal rotation. And in years past, I remember a point early in Crescy Sports Performances years that we would do the sleeper stretch all the time. If we saw an internal rotation deficit in the throwing shoulder, we'd be like, oh my God, we have to, we have to get my internal rotation back. And, and we do the sleeper stretch and try to and try to fix what we deemed a, a dysfunctional pattern. However, we didn't take into consideration total range of motion is what matters. Uh, you know, when we when we compare throwing side to non-throwing side, so that lack of internal rotation is an, an adaptive response to the sport. The 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 idea of throwing a baseball, so long as they don't lose that internal rotation or they or, or they don't lose total range of motion as far as like adding external rotation plus internal rotation, um, is what really matters. So it isn't that we have to fix that um more so than just manage it and make sure it doesn't get worse or does that make sense yeah that um, that's just a general example um but i think it, it also if we're talking about strength athletes um power lifters weight lifters etc um we'll use power lifters for example because i have more experience working with them uh i do feel yeah they they are they are zoned in on three lifts the bench press, the deadlift, and the squat, and they want to—they wanted to get as strong as humanly possible in those three lifts. And of course, their their training is going to match that uh, as far as the, the their their competition lifts and then their competition stances, but also their accessory work as far as like addressing any technique flaws or weaknesses in those lifts. I get it. Um, certainly, the closer you get to a competition, the more honed in you're going to get. You're not—you're not, you're not going to really falter away from any of that like you're basically just doing your competition lifts for a powerlifting meet however uh i would say what i think what i have felt has worked well uh particularly post meet or or, or off season if we want to call it that is getting them more amplitude so meaning getting them out of sagittal plane allowing them to explore the frontal plane and, and transverse plane and getting in more rotation and doing a little bit more reaching with their shoulders because you know, I find a lot that a lot of shoulder pain, particularly in that population and, and even trainers and coaches, 
you know, we, we tend to be pinned down. Our shoulder blades are pinned together and down, together and down, together and down, because we want to lift a lot of weight. And of course, we need to do that to squat and to deadlift and to bench press. Um, however, the more reaching I add into a program where I can now get the shoulder blade to move around the rib cage, getting a little bit more protraction, getting the serratus to turn on, just as an example, uh, oh my God, my shoulder feels better. Because yes, when to, to bench press a lot of weight, you want those shoulder blades together and down, retracted and depressed, because that, that's just that's a stable position. However, um, let's add in some push-ups. Let's add in uh, a row where you kind of reach a little bit more and get that and, and get a little bit more protraction just to get the more amplitude. Um, so getting them exposure to varying movements and planes of motion is important as well. Um, and it's all going to be dictated on in season, out of season, how close you are to competition, when they have to peak, all that stuff. Because certainly, the closer you get to to the D day, uh, you're not you're not you're not you're you're going to be focusing on those three lifts, or um, if they're a weight lift, they're focusing more on their their clean and jerks and Olympic lifts. So um, I know it was quite a little bit of a rant, but hopefully that that, that makes sense. I mean, my next question for you is going to be, you know, what are some specific movements you might program for, say, an off season power lifter to build yeah. that amplitude to get that amplitude? And and uh, I like some Things of those leg work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's stuff like single leg work, adding in some uh, med ball throws where we include rotation, uh, adding in core work where, where they kind of have to rotate a little bit and move from the hips a little bit more, um, adding in more uh, uh, lateral uh, frontal plane movement where they lunge to the side or they maybe they do some skipping to the side and um, just stuff like that. Nothing crazy, nothing super advanced. And don't get me wrong, I still think simple is the way to go. Um, but certainly... Uh, like, yeah, single leg work and all that stuff is, is going to, is going to help keep their hips a little bit healthier. Their lower back's not going to hate them as much. Uh, it just, and it, it just decreases, uh, overall load on the spine when we're not always putting a barbell on our back, uh, super heavy, or we're always you know, pulling a barbell off the ground, super heavy. Um, you know, so yeah, it, it just, just try my best to expose them to a little bit more variety of movement. Uh, if anything, from longevity standpoint, like I understand, you know, can I make a case that any of that is going to carry over to their deadlift or squat? I don't know. Um, but I do know that their hips are going to probably like them a little bit more. The lower back's not going to be sticking their little finger up to them as much. Uh, and, they're, and they're going to actually be able to train because their joints aren't as beat up. Um, so, uh, you know, I, that's just my train of thought. Well, I mean, maybe it's a little bit more, maybe it's a little bit more simplified than, than most people think, but that's how I think. Awesome. Okay. Well, Tony, it's, it's and I, I prepped you for these, so I won't feel too bad. It's time for the, the more rapid fire questions. And that's a bit of a, gotcha. mis, that's a bit oh, of a misnomer man. because like give thoughtful answers if, if you want. Um, <laughs> but okay, let's, let's, let's dive right in. Uh, yep. your secret talent, my secret talent. Uh, I can play Mary had a little lamb on the piano. That is my only musical talent is that, uh, and I'm double jointed. So, uh, I can, I can like make my, the tips of my fingers bend, which is, I guess a weird, a weird talent, but, uh, uh, I'm very, uh, uh, I'm very lame. <laughs> those, those, those are my talents. I don't have any like weight room talent or anything like that. Um, I had a nasty fork ball in college when I was a pitcher. So maybe that's a talent too. What is a, what is a fork ball? It's, uh, well, you could also say it's a split finger fastball, but it's where you, you, you spread your fingers way apart so that your, your index finger and your middle finger are, are kind of going around the ball. Uh, and it's an off speed pitch. So it kind of like, 
drops off the table at the tail end of the of the of the pitch and um yeah it's pretty nasty I, I I've actually used that term to describe my uh, my life before. It's an off speed pitch. That's that's that's, that's all it is. Um, all right, you talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, pet peeve. So I mean, are we talking pet peeves in the industry? Are we talking pet peeves just as, as a general uh, life thing? What, what was it? Let's or go. Is my my choice. Let, it's your choice. It's your and this so, is this is very telling. Depending on if you stick with industry or go or go general life, so this tells the listeners I, a lot I about you. Up, I brought up one pet peeve recent, recently that you know most people were kind of like nodding their head with, and I think I might have might might have hurt a few people's feelings. And I wasn't calling anyone out by any means; like I wasn't singling anyone out, and I certainly didn't name anyone when I said it. Um, I have a pet peeve when I see gym owners posting videos of themselves vacuuming, like it's like this righteous thing that they're doing. Uh, I was like, I, you, I was like, you're like, I don't know. I, I just, I don't get it. I just feel like, uh, what's the point? Like, okay, you own a gym, like you vacuum your, your gym floor. Like that's what gym owners do. Um, uh, so that, that's one pet peeve of mine. Um, and then just the kind of social media in general, sometimes it's just a massive pet peeve where um, I posted something the other day um, uh, about one of my coaches who wants to do a, um, a special class for, for the LGBTQ community. And then, and of course, I mean, that, that's a hot topic. I get it. Um, but it, it just boggles my mind that people go out of their way to waste 10 seconds of their time to make a, a nasty comment when they could have just read it and moved on with their life. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't affect their life. It doesn't affect their business. It doesn't affect their day-to-day doings at all. And it's like, but to take 10 seconds out of your day, just to, to write something nasty about something that doesn't involve you whatsoever. Um, really boggles my mind. Um, so yeah, that, that's a massive pet peeve too. I'm going to start trolling all of your social media accounts. And I'm, and I'm not, I am not confrontational. It's just <laughs> lately it's been it's, it's a little bit more, I'm a little bit more trolls than usual than, than on my end. But, uh, you know, I certainly don't go out of my way to be confrontational online. I don't think that, you know, and maybe that that's another pet peeve too, is I, I don't, I don't think that's a great way to, and I know there are some personalities in the industry. That's kind of their thing where uh, they're very confrontational and, you know, very evidence-based. And, and, and I can appreciate that. Like, I think you do have to fight the good fight. Um, but, you know, when, when it's like, when that's like 100% of what you are, um, I, I do think that kind of turns a lot of people off as, as well. So, I, I mean, it, it, this is a little healthy balance of, you know, figuring out what, what the right dosage is. But, um yeah, I am being being super aggressive is is uh, on, on online is an, is a is another pet peeve, I suppose. Well, one one that I was just giving you a gentle ribbing. One I think that uh, a lot of people would agree with you on. It's become uh, all too commonplace in the industry. All right, next question: um, the strength athlete you most admire. So you know this might be one of those things where I where I'm also very lame. I I I don't follow. CrossFit. I don't follow any powerlifting. I don't follow any weightlifting, which I, I know sounds very sacrilegious. Uh, I think the closest person that I would, I would, uh, that's probably in that realm that I would admire are just colleagues of mine, like Chad Wesley Smith, uh, Chris Duffin, uh, those guys. I just think they're very knowledgeable people uh, and, 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 and are very open to other ideas, which I, which I really, really respect because I, I, I'm not a fan of fitness professionals that pigeonhole themselves into, you know, this is the only way to coach a squat. It's my way. And if you don't do it this way, you're wrong. Uh, they are not like that at all. So 
I, I really uh, respect that. And they're, and they're just two strong dudes. <laughs> so, uh, and they, they practice what they preach, which I, which I can definitely appreciate. You, you picked, you pick some, you pick some strong people uh, and some like very, very good informed choices for someone who doesn't follow, who claims to not follow <laughs> well, string, string you know, sports. When I saw this question, I was like, Oh man, I know he just, I know he's just at CrossFit and I don't really follow CrossFit. I don't even know. I mean, I, I don't even know who won Frazier one. And uh, um, I forgot who the female who won. I was like, I don't even know the the the, the top ten CrossFitters. I, I just I don't follow that world, um, and that isn't a knock. Like I I I appreciate what they do. I think it's cool what they do, and I can't do ninety five percent of what they do. Uh, I just don't follow it. I, I'd rather watch I'd rather watch movies. <laughs> I mean, I, I you, you did pick. I think you picked between Chad Wesley Smith and Chris Duffin. You picked like two two folks who have like, you know, top 10 all time powerlifting totals and they're just entertaining to watch. And, yeah. and they put out, they both put out good stuff. We worked with, we worked with both of them uh, at, yeah. at Barbie. They're, they're they're both- I've, uh, I've met Chad. I, I, I've listened to Chad present once and, and Chris came to one of my workshops, which is kind of surreal because I remember I, I, I was a room full of, I don't know, six or 70 fitness professionals. Chris Duffin is there. Uh, and I, I was like, okay, I'm going to coach the deadlift. <laughs> uh, and, and there's Chris Duffin who, who deadlifts a thousand pounds for reps. I'm like, okay, everyone, here's how we coach the deadlift. I mean, it wasn't lost on me that it was a, quite the, uh, the comical moment, but, uh, but, but he's someone who, what I appreciate too, is like, he'll, he'll shut up and learn, which I, which I really, really appreciate. I mean, he's a smart, smart individual, uh, and he'll just keep his mouth shut and just learn and take it in. And, um, which I, which I, which I respect a lot. All right, Tony, where can folks keep up to date with what you're doing um, and your, your writing and your coaching? You're, you're one of the most prolific fitness professionals we've had on this podcast when it comes to writing and producing your own mm-hmm. content. So where's the best place to follow along with that? So that would be home base. That would be my website, which is, which is TonyJohnCore.com. And that would be my blog, social media, links to articles I've written, podcasts, etc. So that is... Where everything is, it's just that my my name, TonyJunkor.com. Easy, easy enough. Well, Tony, thanks so much for taking the time. It's been yeah, a, dude. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, and uh, I hope we get to chat again in the future. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>